Real Talk listeners, welcome back. So we have started off this series talking about uh, a couple of pieces, right? Good HR leadership, which Michelle and I are really focused on. And I'm going to drill this into you. So listen up. It is important to have good HR leadership, great HR leadership, but it's even more important to have successful top-down leadership. And I think Last week, we were talking a little bit about good HR leadership is getting executives to co-own the difficult people leadership stuff that they want to really delegate to the HR leader. We get that shit all the time, Michelle. I mean, we get crap delegated to us all the time. But how do we really drill in and instill top-down leadership? Now, listeners, I know what you're thinking. We talk about top-down leadership all the time. And Gosh, darn it, it is so annoying to continue driving it. However, every topic has a different importance on how you really instill the top-down culture and leadership and why it's important. You know, we're talking about culture, we're talking about performance, having top-down leadership. Every topic can have its importance. And when we talk about all the dirty stuff that HR deals with, sometimes that from top-down leadership also gets delegated down. So Michelle, how do we navigate this specific item in the top-down leadership chain of command? Yeah, it's a a really good question. And I think ultimately it's going to vary. There's going to be some things that you need to clarify within the organization that you're working with. Uh, there, There is likely going to be leaders, senior leaders that are great at the HR, the people stuff that want to be involved. And then likely there are other people, like you said, they're passing it off. So I would say start with a true assessment of the level of involvement from each person. And it doesn't need to come from a place of, don't think of this as a, as a place of ranking folks, like the chief financial officer is all involved, but the COO is never around. So it's not about ranking them. It's about understanding where they are today in relationship to where you need them to get. So for me, that's one of the first steps. The next piece that I think builds into that one really nicely is a hard one. And it's a hard one for me because of a couple of reasons. And Maria, to your point, it's a topic we talk about a lot because we're passionate about it because we've seen it done well. And we've seen it done poorly. We've also seen it in the middle where you can actually dissect an organization. And that's where you can start to pick out those great departments versus those average or bad departments because of the leadership involvement. But Maria and I both started our journey in corporate America in leadership roles, um, whether they were operationally based or sales-based, we started out on the other side of the table. And that gave us a look into how important the people aspects of the business are. Another thing that I continue to talk about this in every organization I work with is because of my experience at FedEx. And with every organization, 
that I have ever worked for or with, they have pros and cons. Um, so if you're out there and you're like, I didn't have that experience at FedEx, I'm sorry that you didn't have that experience. But this particular issue was, it was incredible to me that especially after I left FedEx and saw how other organizations handled it. At FedEx, the leaders, if you were a people leader, you were taught HR policies. You were taught how to navigate great conversations. You were taught how an employee thinks and wants to understand their job so you could set them up for success. You were expected to be a coach, to be a communicator. And were everyone good at it? No, of course not. That would be ridiculous. FedEx is huge. But what I saw was there was no hiding it. If I, as a, as a people leader in operations, wanted to know or understand an HR policy, first of all, it was probably already taught to me. But if it wasn't, I was given this amazing guide that told me what the company expectations were around that and what that meant and what happened within those clusters of really great leaders was you were looking at teams who did the right thing because they were doing the right thing for their boss, not because they were doing the right thing for FedEx or for Fred Smith. It's because we take it up here we bring it down to the next level, the next level, and the next level, and we slowly infuse an environment where the leaders are truly empowered to make good people decisions. So it's another reason I've seen it work well and not doing it more often than not results in people doing their job out of pressure and if you've never paid attention, someone who does their job because you're looking does not do their job successfully when you're not looking. Um, and so that's the reason you really want that buy-in. So the next statement or the next step is hard for me because I understand the value from an operational perspective, having being involved in HR. And you know that I'm the first to say, HR should not have to fight to have a seat at the table. It should be a given. However, you got to go with me on this. If you're working with an organization where that has never been a practice, that HR has been the people that got the administrative people stuff, they were the ones that celebrated and punished, and leaders walked around to make sure things are getting done you're going to have to take a different approach. And that means that you're going to have to come from a place of proving value. Oh, do you remember one of our first calls? We went back and forth on whether or not you have to prove value, Maria. It's true. I think that's a great debate uh, when you're talking about having to prove value because I think you should be valued in the organization but I can completely understand and relate because I have worked in organizations where you have to prove your value. Yep. And so the next step that I would say from a place of it's time for you to do the work 
so that it will pay off for the entire organization, for the employees, and for you is now it's time to get to know your executives deeper than just how involved they are. If you really want to gather support from your executive leadership team, you've got to understand what makes them tick, how they think, what's important to them, how long can you get their attention span for. You've got to know what topics are going to garner their attention quickly and which ones are going to shut them down. Um, The more you understand what they see as successful, the easier it will be for you to frame any of your initiatives in a way to get them involved. I'm willing to bet there are people in the world that are now saying, Michelle, sounds a little bit manipulative. Maria, what do you think? I know you've talked about this before. It does sound a bit manipulative. Here's the deal. At the end of the day, as an HR support partner, you probably have little to no actual positional power. People are going to challenge you on this, Michelle. That HR has no positional power? Yep. Talk to me. (laughs) When you say the word power, positional power, it's almost like HR has no positional power because we are here to recommend and advise, but we can't necessarily make the impact or the change. But it may not necessarily be true. We do have a lot of power based on influence, right? And we do have positional power because we do have the ear of the CEO or whoever we report, report into that also has positional power in the organization. So if you have their ear. That is correct. That's that true. goes back to you've got to know who's involved and who isn't. So you've got to do a big assessment of where you currently stand. Quite possibly. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. And yes, you know what? You guys know that I'm not super sensitive about words. Like it never bothered me when I got feedback and people would be like, your opportunity or your problem is. And I I know that in, in the world, we've tried to soften words by like saying positive discipline. Those words never bothered me when I got feedback ever. And so that's the reason that the word manipulation doesn't necessarily bother me because coming from a place of good intent, you are trying to influence people to support you in a way that does the right thing for a larger group of people. So with great power, great responsibility. So if you're going to wield your manipulation, make sure you understand the extent of your responsibility, but get to know them so you can understand where you're coming from. Okay. The next one, Maria, I'm going to, um, I know these are topics that you love and I love them and I love doing them a little less than you do, but they're both really important. They align nicely together, which is why I'm going to talk about both of them back to back but they are completely separate issues. And the first is that you've got to start presenting your idea from the perspective of a business problem that needs to be solved. And the second one is that you've got to use HR data or people data 
in order to support that that is a business problem and that your solution would result in positive improvement within those metrics. So Maria, talk to us a little bit about stepping away from the idea of let's just do this because it's right for people to framing it as a business problem with supporting data. You know, I think when we talk a little bit about business supporting data and not necessarily framing it from it's a problem for the people and we need to kind of solve it. I think it's there's a number of things there, right? So when you're talking with executives, a lot of what you need to do is influence from a a data perspective, right? So you have a, a lot of turnover going on within your organization already by reducing or eliminating these employees without communication or transparency amongst the organization in certain aspects as much as you can, then it's going to create more risk. So you can leverage things like org health survey data. You can leverage how much it's costed, uh, the turnover and overtime, controllable costs, different numbers that really speak to business owners uh, about the risks that they're taking when they're not having the dialogue and the conversations themselves and really making a a strong review through what's going on and how it's going to impact the people. If your people are not happy then or getting a message in a different way indirectly from you, um, they're going to be able to vocalize that, whether or not you have a platform in your company to be able to do that. Uh, There's external platforms that they can go to like Glassdoor all the time. So I think, you know, that's the most important part is taking a look at what numbers you have in the system or in within your own HRIS platform, right? Or within external resources, like if you leverage, you know, different uh, engagement surveys that necessarily aren't done by the organization. So or just taking a look at the financial analytics, right? Outside of the HRIS platforms, taking a look at the analytics and the data of what things have cost uh, or impacted and the the rates and the financial burden is on the organization. I think that goes a long way with an executive to come around and handle the situations themselves in a more peopleistic approach. It's almost like if you think about it, it's almost like presenting it the opposite way that you would if you were designing an action plan, right? So let's take your example of turnover and all of the things that are negatively impacted because of high turnover. If we were telling you to build a business plan, you probably started by recognizing your managers were spending a lot of time on interviews that the employees were walking out right after orientation. You probably noticed that you had a spike in redos or waste because people were always new. You probably noticed that there was an excessive amount of time on training um, to get people up to speed. So as a manager, we would have told you that what you were looking at was all symptoms of a bigger problem. And we'd tell you to keep digging, right? And with all of those things that you laid out, if we had kept digging a distinct possible challenge in that example or the root cause would be turnover or high turnover, right? And so when you're presenting that from a business solution, 
by being able to frame all of the symptoms, I think of when I think of root cause analysis, I think of the problem and then the symptoms. If you've ever gone to a doctor, it's a great example when you talk about a root cause analysis is that doctors spend a lot of time fixing your symptoms. Um, You have a headache every other day and they give you medicine for that headache instead of determining that your vision is bad and because you don't have glasses, it's causing you to have a headache, right? The headache's never going to stop. It's going to be dulled by the medicine. So when you're building that action plan, it's always get to the idea that you need glasses and solve that problem. But you want to be able to frame the other stuff as well because people will naturally see an increase in waste or missing product deadlines or all those things are happening because your employees are all new. They will see those things as business problems that need to be addressed. And then it quickly links them to your root cause to get you a little more buy-in. So it's a different way of looking at this as you're presenting it. Yeah. So the focus for obviously leaders, executives is really to support different initiatives, really be able to approach it from a different perspective and be able to fundamentally break it down in different components. Absolutely. And then I would say the last thing, guys. So let's say you've gotten to know your leaders, your senior leaders or your executives. You've presented your whatever said thing is that you want the company to support. You've presented it. You've presented it from a perspective to get buy-in because you understand people and you approached it from a business perspective. The next thing is go into this with an implementation plan already laid out and ready to go from top down. Now, as part of your implementation plan, that includes communication and have the foresight to go in with a recommendation. Is it possible that that implementation plan changes? I would say it's beyond possible and it's probable once the other leaders provide feedback. But what you've got to go in is with an implementation plan that has them rolling out this program or this initiative top down. And the reality is, if you don't have a really great PR department or you don't have a communications department, you're probably going to have to help draft some of the tools that they might use as a part of that implementation plan, Where whether it is helping to draft communication emails or helping to draft support documents that can be used in team meetings or on team conference calls. So by you thinking ahead enough to realize you need that, it will help give them something to work with. The reality is everybody's role is a little bit different. It's always interesting when you're in a position where you work equally with frontline folks and executives because the information that you bring at one place is usually completely different than how you communicate with the other group, right? But what you're going to find when you're communicating with executives 
is that they should be at a strategic high level. They should be at 50,000 feet looking down, which means that they haven't even stopped to consider what meeting or what groups or when this would roll out or what the timeline is. So instead of expecting them to roll with that, go with them with an outline and a strategy already defined for them. That's always helpful um, when there's something already outlined or defined for them because it it makes everything a lot easier, as we know. (laughs) I am definitely not a fan. And I've worked places where I actually remember um, working with an organization once and I was like, I need a quote from the CEO. And they were like, just write it and put his name on it. (laughs) And I was like, no. Well, it happens so many times, though, in organizations. It does. It does. But if you as a leader are rolling out and communicating this in a way, go ahead and draft it for them. Get over it like I did because I wrote the quote. So get over it and go ahead and draft it for them. But then encourage them to use their own voice, right? Encourage them when they're talking to their teams to put their own spin on it or make it their own so that their team knows it's truly coming from them and it's not just corporate communication. Well, it kind of plays out into still, right? Top-down leadership expects HR to do their dirty work for them. And sometimes it is communication, but they need to own it at the end of the day, even if it's drafted. Yes, which means it's got to be in your voice. So to summarize, here are those tips. First of all, do an assessment so you can recognize how much power or influence you currently have and how involved your leadership team is already. The next step, start to get to know your executives individually, what drives them, what motivates them. Present anything you're going to present Have it come from a business solution perspective and include data as a part of that and come with an implementation plan already um, outlined or laid out. Yeah, I think that's important. I think those those are key components. And I think when we're talking through top-down leadership and how they leverage HR, I think those help kind of initiate some of the steps, help take ownership, take responsibility also help create the buy-in and influence. Um, And I think, you know, when it comes to some tough discussions though, Michelle, like when leaders are having, let's, let's just talk through like at the pandemic stage, right? We had leaders across the board in many different organizations who didn't want to be a part of the dirty work of the layoffs. Now, granted, they don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily know and have understanding of developing, you know, severance paperwork or whatever it is, right? Uh, uh, You know, to put people on the actual leaves. But I think it is critical when you're talking through something large that's going to impact an organization, your leaders obviously are supporting it, but they need need to also have visibility and presence in the organization through that communication so that it doesn't feel like it's the last thing you want is it coming from the chief human resource officer that this is happening. It should never come from that level. 
Agreed. Again, I say this over and over again, and I, I definitely, I break power down into multiple categories. So you've got positional power, which means that I can truly hire, fire you without anyone else's input. And that's typically a direct supervisor that gets to do that. And then you've got personal power and personal power comes from you've got, you've built a relationship with people. You can have power that comes from a place of expertise that people respect the knowledge that you have. And as a result of that, they listen to your influence. And so you've got to understand where you are in that spectrum. You can't always just do the things that I suggest you to do without thinking through where you stand in the scale. But at some point, you also have to have the courage to say that has to come from someone else or you have to be involved in that decision. It might be that it comes from a corporate communication channel from an HR professional and someone who happens to be a person. I'd say I'd find that more annoying than if the owner of the organization was willing to just sign off on it and say, here's what I did and here's why we're doing it. But you are correct. At the end of the day, we influence. We do not typically tell without other people's involvement. And what that means is we cannot tell your employees what to do. We can guide them, we can coach them, we can give them feedback if we see them messing up. There's a lot of things we can do, but we can't be there to tell them what to do. So as the leader, you've got to take the responsibility of that. And when we're talking about those major choices like layoffs during a pandemic, here's the deal. You make the big bucks, suck it the F up and do your job. I love it. I feel like that was like a mic drop. Like we should just leave it there. Suck it up. Do your damn job. Top down leadership. HR is not going to do the dirty work. So I think that's fantastic. We can be significantly more diplomatic than that. That's the reason we have those steps to go through. So guys, if you are an HR professional and you are struggling with getting that buy-in within your organization, give us a call, reach out. We'll be there to coach and guide you through the process. That's right. So we obviously have talked about this. We have given you tips on influencing leaders, why there's importance in top-down leadership. And today we told you, you heard it here first, top-down leadership, super critically important. And this is how you really help maneuver and navigate some of those tough discussions and don't put it in the realm of HR's hands or responsibilities. We don't own that. So thanks so much. Stay tuned for some new episodes and some new series coming up. Everyone take care until next time. Bye guys.